time or two here. Uh, we are in a summer series talking about the book of Proverbs. It's in the Old Testament and it is a series of writings uh, on biblical godly wisdom. A lot of it is just wisdom on how to make it through this life, how to, how to live a life God's way, how, how to even live a blessed life um, with kind of the natural laws that God has put uh, into work and into effect in our lives. And, and for us now, we're going to be in chapter 10 and if you've been reading through it. I know some of you guys have been reading through Proverbs as we've been going. You will see a drastic shift at chapter 10. If you don't got a Bible and you want one, raise your hand and there are people who are going around right now with Bibles. Um, but uh, chapter 10 uh, changes. So 1 through 9 uh, was much more drawn out. You could almost see themes. Uh, sometimes it was whole chapter themes. Sometimes it was just kind of by, by section. But there were multiple lines that fit whatever the topic was. And then all of a sudden there's a big shift in chapter 10. And it starts to look kind of like a series of fortune cookie sayings. To be honest, if you just were to open up a, a fortune cookie and see a line. Um, and then boom, the next one is there. And, and sometimes they seem to have nothing to do with each other. And, and a good way to think about this is if you've been reading through it and you're kind of confused about that, 1 through 9 is sort of this uh, uh, battle between wisdom and folly. Or, or wisdom, a life lived with the fear of the Lord, loving His ways, uh, following Him, versus uh, folly or, or foolishness, which is really a life of sin and chasing after uh, our, our momentary uh, wanton desires and, and, and the things that are are fleeting in the moment. Uh, Jeremiah says our, our hearts are, are uh, wicked beyond all repair. And, and that's, that's, that's kind of folly, a life of just following my heart and what it says I want to do moment by moment. And so uh, if there's this epic battle at the beginning between wisdom and folly, starting at chapter 10 and moving on, what you'll start to find is how do I practically live this out then? Uh, what are the practical day-to-day -day outcomes of living a life of wisdom or uh, what are the practical day-to-day -day, uh, repercussions or, or, or outcomes of just chasing after uh, sin and chasing after a life of foolishness and folly? And this is where it gets practical. So if you've been hanging on with us the first six weeks, we probably honestly could have saved a lot of time and boiled it down by just having me stand up here and say, hey, everybody, life will go better for you if you just don't sin. And then we would have saved six weeks, but we really had to hammer that in there because, man, when you read the Bible, and you don't skip, uh, it, it, it nails you down on things. And that's what 1 through 9 has been doing. It's been over and over and over again a life chasing after God in His ways. A life that even though it doesn't seem right, or even though it doesn't fit the culture, or even though it seems different, and everybody else would love to make fun of me, or even though this is really, really hard and I don't want to do this, man, follow God. Chase after Him. His ways are better, even if we don't understand it. That's kind of, that's kind of the thing theme. And now the difficult part of preaching is you can't just kind of roll through a text, especially in Proverbs. You can't just say, hey, we're going to talk through all of chapter 10 right now. Because if we did, we'd be talking about laziness, money, sex. We'd be talking about uh, uh, um, all sorts of stuff over and over again. And so what we're going to do is we're really going to focus on one single verse, and that's Proverbs 10.7. The memory of the righteous is a blessing... But the name of the wicked will rot. And what, the word I want you to have in your head right now is legacy. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Very simply, 
Um, and the question that I want to begin with and the question that I'm going to end with is, uh, what kind of legacy are you leaving behind? For some of us, this is a concept that I've never even thought about because, man, that's something that you start to think about at the end of your life, right? Legacy, legacy gifts, legacy whatever. But, but all of us right now are writing our story uh, that we will be leaving behind for others. All of us, right now. Um, I, I googled uh, earlier uh, a picture of some gravestones. Um, these were some of the top ones that came up. The middle one was blank, so I think that's great. Uh, the one on the the one on the left. He loved bacon. Oh, and his wife and kids too. Like, ahaha, that's kind of funny. But really, when you think about it. Um, could the legacy that you're leaving behind and, and the thing that everybody remembers you for be something like bacon? And is that really the legacy that we want to leave behind? I was at a funeral not too long ago. Um, it was while I was in college. And um, it was a dude who just loved baseball. And, and I watched as the pastor worked so hard to weave everything into a baseball metaphor and a baseball analogy. He had a twins cap on the casket. He had, a, he had a baseball bat right next to there. And the pastor was just like trying so hard to talk about how, how like uh, the gospel is sort of like a home run because I don't even remember. But he was really having to work hard. And it got me thinking about, man, when someone's preaching my funeral, how hard should the pastor have to work to include Jesus in that story? Does it really have to be like some out-of-this-world out metaphor to kind of connect? Because, I mean, we lived our lives chasing after things that were so temporary, so, so surfacey, that we, have to, that we have to do it on the metaphor level? Or, or, or am I going to have to make that pastor work hard to talk about something that's not Jesus? Because that's what my life was marked by. On the other hand, uh, I see this Leonard Ravenhill, and this is seriously just a Google thing. I have no idea who this guy is, but his gravestone, the top says, carried by angels, and the bottom is a question. Are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? Man, when, you, when you're walking through the, the cemetery and you see a gravestone like that, that sort of gives you a picture of this person in your mind, right? Like, wow, this person probably was super spiritual, right? Because even on his gravestone, he's leaving me with something that's like going to make me feel a little bit guilty right now. Um, what a life, what a legacy to live. Uh, that even after you're gone, you're, you're having people question, am I really living for the things that I'm supposed to be living for? And so that's the question that I want all of us to have in our mind right now. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Where will you be in that? Because all of us are leaving behind a legacy. Um, I know uh, for, for, for me personally, um, I, I was named after a great-grandfather. And I know that this was a person that my mom was especially fond of. There was a great-grandpa, Andrew Allen, and she loved him. And she adored him because he was the type of guy uh, that would take her out for ice cream. He would take her out shopping. And when she wanted someone that she knew would be there for her, when she knew in the moment he was paying attention to her, he was, he was loving her and he was showing her a good time. Man, he left an imprint on my mom's life such that uh, when I was born, the first guy on my side, she knew beyond a, a, a shadow of a doubt, I was to carry his name. And that's a, that's a great legacy to, live, to leave behind. 
a, a legacy that's worth naming your kids after because this person had such an impact on, uh, on my life. Man, I would love it if down the road there were many more Andrew Allens because I lived a life that made such an impact on people. And not just out of tradition, but because, man, that name really means something to us. And, and that's true, right? Names carry weight. Names carry meaning. When, when we have kids, don't we pour through baby naming books and we love to see, like, where, where does this name have its origin? And, and, and what does it mean? Is it, is it Andrew, which is strong and manly? Or is it something else? Names can carry the opposite meaning too, right? Um, how, how many Judases do you know? Pro- probably not many, right? That name doesn't uh, get used a lot because it carries a lot of weight. Jesus, as he was on his way to, to Jerusalem, one of his closest friends and disciples, uh, who was named Judas, he betrayed him, right, for 30 pieces of silver, handed him over to the religious leaders, and that kicked off the series of events that led to Jesus being crucified. And so now, uh, when we're upset with someone who betrayed us, when we're upset with someone who cheated us, when we're upset with someone who went behind our backs, there's a name that we call them, and it's Judas. You ever heard that? You Judas. Oh, what a Judas. How about that for a legacy to leave behind? That our name becomes a taunt. That our name becomes um, a name that is used to, to, to uh, uh, rip people down or to, to talk about betrayal. Man, our names and our histories carry such weight and such meaning that we're leaving behind a legacy. And, and how I want to do this uh, and simply structure the rest of this message is I'm going to show you four or five uh, people from Scripture who left behind a legacy. And we're going we're to look into that and we're going to simply learn from that and, and ask ourselves, based on what we're seeing, what type of legacy am I leaving? And now can be the time to either change that or the time to strengthen that and pour into it because so many of us don't lead lives of intentionality. We lead lives of bouncing around from thing to thing to thing and man, we hope that what's written on our tombstone is something good. But but not many of us are really totally sure how we're going to be remembered when we leave. Man, let's live lives where we know how we're going to be remembered. And it's for something good. Not bacon or baseball, but something worthwhile and something that matters. And so here, uh, I want to start with St. Paul. And this comes from the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul writes this while he is in jail in Rome awaiting to be crucified. uh, uh, Or executed, sorry, because he um, was a Jesus follower. And here's what he writes. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Um, In his last words to Timothy, um, someone he's mentoring, that's what he considers his life to be. An offering to God that is poured out. You see how opposite that is to kind of our current culture and context right now that says, hey, get the most out of life that you can. Live it up. Live life to the full. Follow your dreams. Chase your heart. And Paul says, man, my life is an offering poured out to God. Instead of focusing on filling myself up, I'm focused on pouring myself out. He says, the time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And and listen to this. 
The prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. You know, that, that's not foreign to us as we've studied Proverbs. Man, it talks about righteousness constantly. And, and that there, there's a prize for the righteousness. And it's not just in this life now. Proverbs talks about a lot of benefits to living a righteous life in this life. But Paul's even talking about in the afterlife, in the eternity, that living a righteous life, that there's a reward there. And the Lord is ready to give it. And it's not just for him. But it's available to any of us who do what? Who eagerly look forward to Jesus. What's the reward for righteousness? And what I need to do to get that? Man, I need to look to Jesus. I need to trust in Jesus. I need to focus on Jesus. And there is an incredible reward. And lest you think as we start talking about this legacy stuff that you've lived a life that's too far gone to get a reward like that. Righteousness is not even close to who I am. And so there's no way I could get a reward like that. Man, just think of Paul's life. And if you don't know it, um, it used to be Saul, uh, persecutor of Christians. Uh, the one who stood by and held everyone's coats as Christians were executed. Paul's early life was not a life marked by righteousness. It was a life uh, marked by uh, prestige, self-gain, and, and whatever he could do to get ahead. But through a radical transformation... Paul is able to say at the end of his life, a prize awaits me. And it's a prize of righteousness. There's no one in here who is too far gone, who has done something that's too bad, or, or too many bad things. <laughs> There's no past that is so far from Jesus that the prize of righteousness for turning and fixing our eyes on him is out of reach. It is within reach for all of us. St. Paul is a perfect example of that. Um, if that's not good enough, let's look at King David. King David's last words to his son Solomon, uh, who actually wrote Proverbs that we've been reading. He says, I'm about to go the way of the earth. Be strong, show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper and that you do that you may prosper in all that you do wherever you turn. King David is saying the, the basic equivalent of, man, uh, the stuff that's in here, that's what he's talking about when he says the law of Moses, the first five books of the, of the Bible at that time, which were actually in writing and available to them. He's saying, man, everything that's in here is worth digesting, is worth keeping, is worth focusing, and worth forming our lives around. This is a fundamental difference between, between how the world tells us to live, which is, uh, if you want to do the religious thing, see how it can maybe fit into your life. What David's saying is, you know what, I tried that, and the outcome of that was pretty terrible. If you read through David's life, you'll find that there were, li there were moments of incredible following, and there were moments of incredible sin and depravity. And the difference is, is God and is his word something worth trying to fit into your life and see how it works? Or is this something that I shape my entire life around and this informs who I am, what I do, how I live? And these are things that are tough to answer because it's like, hey, Sunday's coming and I've got a, a, a baseball tournament for my kid. Uh, what do I do about that? 
it, does God inform my life or, or do I try and fit God into my life? And I'm not trying to answer that for you or say one decision uh, is better than the other, but these are the types of things that we have to answer for ourselves. And these are the types of things that fit into a legacy because a life lived of, if I can just fit God into my life, man, kids don't take that. Kids don't grow up with that. Kids, kids slough that kind of stuff off. But a life that is formed and informed and transformed by Jesus, man, kids, kids keep that because that's real. And that's a legacy worth leaving behind. St. Peter. Uh, you might know him as Jesus' closest friend. Jesus' closest disciple. St. Peter was an incredible uh, beginning uh, to the early church and an incredible reason why we're sitting here today is because of the witness of guys like St. Peter. And here's what he says as some of his last words. He just gets talking about the incredible qualities uh, of Christians in the early church, keeping the truth steadfast in God's word, uh, lives of goodness and godliness. And so he says, therefore, I intend to always remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. What he's saying is in my last days, I'm going to be about stirring you up and reminding you about what's really important, what's really worthwhile, what's really meaningful. Do you guys have people in your lives like that who are just like crazy cheerleaders who when you're with them, man, they help you get stuff done. They help you stay motivated. They help you stay fixed on what's really important. This is what he's saying. I'm going to commit that the legacy I'm going to leave behind is someone who stirs other people up to good, who stirs people up to being focused on Jesus. And since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. His legacy that he wanted to leave behind. Man, it wasn't just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the most I can in this life and then I'm done. But no, I'm setting things up so that even after I'm gone, people will remember and people will know what's truly important. And man, the fact that we're here gathering, reading scripture is proof of that. Because Peter wrote letters to churches, some of them we have still, and some of them are right here in the word. We have an eyewitness testimony of Jesus because of guys like Peter who were there and walked with him and shared it with us. Are you leaving behind a life that, man, even after you're gone, people will know what's really important and people will fix their eyes on what's really important because of you? Are you setting people up, your family, your friends, the people who are closest to you, to know what's really important. Joshua, if you've, if you've grown up um, in the church, you probably know this. Um, if you really like um, uh, tacky church art, you've probably got this um, on some fancy wooden banner in your house somewhere. Uh, but this says, Now therefore, this is Joshua speaking, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. He's, uh, he followed in the footsteps of Moses, and he is about to, to leave um, the legacy of Israel off to the next generation. And so he says, um, Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, if you don't want to do that, 
Then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And, and, and what he's doing there is really tongue-in-cheek. Um, the gods uh, that we have destroyed already and the nations that we have already destroyed or the gods that we are about to destroy. If you want to put your faith in them, go for it. And he says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. His legacy was that of, you can choose, man. I'm going to show you all of the incredible things about a life lived with Jesus and a life lived following God's way. But, but the choice is yours. I'm not going to force you into this. I'm going to let you choose. You want to choose destruction? Or you want to choose eternity? And I so badly want to see you in eternity. I, I, I once knew a guy um, who the hardest part of the faith for him was the fact that uh, he didn't know where his dad's heart and his dad's soul was when it came to eternity. And his dad passed away. And he said, man, I just don't know if I can take this to be true. Because if I take this to be true, then what does that mean for my dad? Think about the legacy that that guy left behind. A legacy of uncertainty, a legacy of I'm not too sure about that, and a legacy that this guy now isn't too sure about what he wants to do and what he wants to believe and if he can even accept that because of what it might mean. Man, leave behind a legacy that makes people want to see you in eternity. I got one more for you. This comes from Moses. Moses, who led God's people for decades... Moses, who was one of the most incredible leaders this world has ever seen. And here are his literal last words that we have recorded in Scripture before he goes up on a mountain, dies, and the Lord himself buries him. Man, what a gift <laughs> to be buried by God. And here's what Moses says. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a nation saved by the Lord. He is the battle covering who helps you. He is the sword of your great power. So those who hate you will be afraid in front of you and you will walk upon their high places. That's his last words to his people. We have walked with God side by side. We have seen how he is our mighty warrior. And so when you go out into a world that is filled with evil, when you go out into a world that is filled with people who want to rip you down, when you go out into a world that seems like it has roadblocks at every turn, who is with you fighting those battles? God. God is with you. He destroys evil. Not just the evil of the devil, but man, the evil that is wrought by sin and death all around us. All of those roadblocks, all of the evil in our lives, man, that is sin at its work. And God is our mighty warrior who destroys that. And we take him with us. And that's Moses' legacy that he's leaving behind. And that's true for us today, man. If you're going into a toxic work environment, God is your mighty warrior who is with you and he wants to destroy that stuff. If you're going home to, to a broken family, man, God is your mighty warrior who wants to destroy the shackles of death and sin and restore and rebuild. If you've got a past that you're not proud of, God can destroy that so clearly. And remove it from you such that he doesn't even remember it. He is your mighty warrior.